Good morning, friends. Uh, just before the sermon proper, let me take a moment to, uh, if you weren't here last week, I'll just introduce myself. My name is Jameson Galt, and uh, I'm not the pastor here, so if you're just visiting, uh, come back next week. Uh, pastor Middlecoff and his family should be back, although I will be here again preaching next week. Uh, they're on vacation, and we have this nice arrangement. I'm a pastor in Brooklyn, and so we're, my family's up here staying at his house, and doing church for him. So we get to come up here and have vacation this way. Uh, and it's also my pleasure to be able to um, bring a short little three-week sermon series to you guys. So just by way of reminder, for those of you who weren't here, last week we started talking about um, what I'm calling desire. You know, this idea that our hearts are really hungering things. Our hearts hunger for things in this world, not just things that we can see, not just things around us, but they're actually hungry. They're never satisfied. We, and we're going to unpack this in a second. Uh, we're, we're constantly hungering and thirsting, thirsting for things in this world. And, and last week we saw that Jesus went out into the desert and people followed him and they went to him and they were out there. They were hunger, hungry for spiritual things, hungry to see God at work in the world. And then they got out to the wilderness and they were actually physically hungry. And we saw that he fed them. That he took his time to give them bread and to uh, show that he cared for them, that he loved to give good gifts to his people when they're hungry. And so that's what we saw last week. And then this week we're going to see, it's just a little bit later, all that's happened really since uh, last week in the text, John chapter 6, is that Jesus walks away, goes to the other side of this sea, and they all follow him. They just go out there and they're like, give us more bread. We're still hungry. We're going to keep on around and you've got to keep feeding us. And so finally he gets into this, this speech here. Which is John chapter 6. Let me read it for us. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true, true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living father sent me and I live because of the father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. This is God's word. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this word, even though we confess that it is very difficult. In fact, the first disciples who were here with Jesus pulled him aside afterwards and said, this is a very difficult teaching. And most of the people that were listening turned away and stopped following him. We confess that we too, if we're honest, don't really understand what your son means in these words and even what that might mean for our lives. And so we pray that you would do a miracle today by the power of your spirit that for each person here, wherever we are in our faith or lack thereof, give us just enough of you, just enough understanding this morning 
that we might take the next step toward you, that we might be fed, that we might understand you more clearly, that we might receive what we need for life and for full health and for salvation today and this week. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. I want to, this morning, um, we're not going to go line by line through this text. I think you get the idea. Jesus repeats himself over and over again. He's saying, you want bread and you're hungry, but, but really you need something more than just this bread. You need something deeper than just bread. You need a different kind of bread. And so what I want us to do this morning is, is actually explore what I'm going to call this a mystery. I want us to see if we can solve this mystery about our hearts and about our place in the world. And that mystery is both universal, which is to say it, it, it's, it's uh, true of everyone. And yet it's also deeply personal for each one of us. It's a, it's a mystery of our own hearts and it's a mystery of the world. And here's the mystery. I'm going to use an illustration to give you an idea of this mystery. Uh, who knows who John Paul Getty was? Uh, in the 50s and 60s, I think, he was declared to be the richest man in North America. And for a while, he was on the magazines as uh, the richest person in the entire world. Okay, So this was a man of great, great wealth. Uh, and towards the end of his life, when he was getting all this uh, attention, they asked him, How much money is enough, John Paul Getty? And you know what his answer was? Just a little more. Right? And when I hear that, I am so profoundly thankful that he could be honest. Because I was thinking, and I, 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 this is not in my notes. I, I'm just going to tell you off the top of my head. I'm doing this on purpose. All the things I've wanted just this week. The things I've deeply desired to just a little bit more. My just a little bit more. So off the top of my head, uh, I went to the beach and I desired to be there even longer than I was. Uh, I, did, I passed a 1966 convert, 67 convertible Mustang with the plates Mo Beach, and I I really wanted it. If one of if it belongs to one of you, I would like to go for a spin this week. Um, I wanted uh, to be a better father. I also at times wanted to not be a father. Uh, this week, I very much desired to have a different body. Sometimes when I was on the beach. But I also really, really desired a hamburger uh, all week. So these are just a few things off the top of my head. And maybe you, if you were to fill in your own blanks in front of everyone, uh, might have a similar or a very dissimilar list. But I bet if you just start thinking, you're just, you, could start, you could talk for the next couple hours about all the things you've wanted probably just before you got to church this morning. right? The things that you've desired that you thought would make you happier. And I want to say that this is true of all of us. It's this mystery. But here's where the mystery gets. That's true of us, and yet hear this testimony. Hear the words of someone else. Not John Paul Getty, but this man named the Apostle Paul, who was one of the original followers of Jesus who went around starting new churches, telling people about Jesus. He was a convert, an adult convert to the faith. And he says this towards the end of his life, from jail. Okay, so he's in jail facing execution. And here's what he says. He's writing to a church that's given him some money to help him take care of his expenses and buy food and things while he's in house arrest. And he says, thank you for this money. But then he says, but not that I'm speaking of being in need. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. 
Now, this is someone who at times in his life described having ecstasies of experience with God so deep and mysterious that he wouldn't even put them in words for people, but he, he alluded to it as going into the seventh heaven. This is also someone who was able to speak to the, the powers that be and bring justice uh, and prophetic speech in front of the, the, the dignitaries of the day. This is also someone who went places and uh, natives fell down and worshipped him as God at one point because of the miracles that were being done through him. It's also someone who had been shipwrecked, stoned, beaten, and put in jail. I can do all things. Abundance and hunger Because I've learned contentment. Now, that's a mystery. That's the mystery that I want to just spend a little time unpacking. Here we are, understanding what it's like to want just a little bit more, always. And also hearing this testimony of someone who says, you can always have enough. No matter how little or how much you have. And I think Paul could say this, this is what we want to explore this morning. It's what Jesus said. Jesus says, I am The bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This is the person that Paul met and experienced that gave him contentment. And you hear Jesus say this thing like he says in this passage and you think, what? Is this even possible? Especially in a consumer economy like ours. Where it runs literally like our livelihoods and our being depend upon us just wanting more, needing more, buying more. What, what would we live on? What would we feed on? What would our identities be if we could just be content? Last week, we said that it's actually a blessed thing. That we are made to be hungering peoples, that we are desiring people, that that is a gift that God's given us and that God loves to feed us real things in this world to give us gifts like provision, care, food, that he loves to give good gifts to his children. That's why he gave bread to these people in the desert. But we also saw that desire itself, our desire is distorted. That is, we have this desire that sometimes just seeks to devour everything and it is never satisfied and would never stop. Or because we experience that, we deny our desires and just pretend like we don't really have them because we know that they would burn us down and those around us. These are the way our desire is distorted. And either way, our desire is never satisfied. It's there. And what we saw last week is that hunger is a gift. It's one that we've distorted, but it's a gift when and if it leads us Pass the gift back to the giver itself. That's what we talked about all last week. If you weren't here, I'm just recapping you. That we said our desire is actually a gift from God meant to lead us back to him. Meant to be satisfied in him. And so here's what I want to spend the rest of our time talking about. With our actual hungers and desires as they are in this world. What on this earth? What in earth? Might satisfaction, contentment in God look like in a world where we're never satisfied? How can we be both hungry still and yet content? That's the question. And I just want to point out three things this morning. I wish they were more concrete. They're all kind of, uh, you know, attitudes or something. But uh, I'm going to do my best with them. The first is this contentment in this world 
when we still have hungers, looks something like gratitude. And I'm going to be really brief with this one because it's not really where I want to spend most of my time. But gratitude. I think a secret or an answer to the mystery of contentment in this world is just gratitude. To constantly remember and to recall and to ask God to help you be grateful that he does give you good gifts. And the trick is, by his spirit, being able to see and be thankful for all that he does give you. I mean, friends, this is like one of the deepest biblical themes that there is. Actually, in Romans chapter 1, the, the Apostle Paul again says that all of the brokenness of the world, all of the, all the ways our desire has been distorted, that everything that's wrong really started because Adam and Eve weren't thankful for what they had. They had a paradise. They had everything they ever could have wanted. And there was one thing that God said, not yet. And because they were unthankful for all of this paradise, they wanted that one thing they couldn't have. And the world is as it is now because of that lack of thanks. That's also why, and we'll see this a little bit now and, and next week especially, that the central act of the Christian church from immediately after Jesus died and rose again until today has been this table, which has always been known by its Greek word, which is the Eucharist. And that word just means... The thanksgiving. The giving of thanks. From the beginning, Christians were known as people who were suddenly thankful. It's simply knowing what Jesus said in another context. He said, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? I, try, I mean, I'm trying, this is such, it's so hard for these to say these kind of things and not to feel like it's just trite. I'm like, oh, thank you, you know. Um, But it is really amazing sometimes when you're discontent to stop and think, I can breathe, you know? Or what about this miracle right now that by some strange way of being, I'm uh, speaking and my vocal cords are rubbing together and it's coming across the air to you by sound waves that we can't understand and it's going into your inner ear and the vibrations are taking flesh there again and yet somehow in that we're understanding one another in, in a way and connecting. Miracle. To just stop and be thankful for this existence. So gratitude, I think, is one. But secondly, and I want to spend most of my time here, is honesty. This is a practice. If we want contentment in this world when we're hungry, honesty is a virtue that we need. And by honesty, I mean knowing your own heart, being honest with yourself, and sharing your heart. So first, honesty with yourself And with God about your heart. Let me put it this way. When you're hungry in life. Tell God that your tummy hurts. Jesus just said he's a father who gives good gifts to his children. He's like, you know how to give bread to your children when they ask. Your father is a good father. So just tell him. Say, I really, really, really want this thing. And the more I think about it, it's it's not even really that thing. It's this thing that's underneath that thing. I really, really want this so much. I, I can't stop thinking about it. Tell him. Trust that he loves to give good gifts to his children. Don't deny it. Don't hide it. Don't rush after it on your own apart from him. Ask him. Tell him. Be honest with him. In our passage, it says that he fed the people until they were full. Last week. I don't know what this means. And one of the things I talked about last week, too, is it doesn't mean that God's always going to give you what you want. That's not the point. The point is that you need to at least just be honest with him. 
Because so often you feel like he's not a good father. He doesn't earnestly long to bless you. And so you're either going to try to get that thing on your own or you're just going to suppress the desire for it. Just be honest with God about it. All you need to know is that he is a good father who loves to give gifts to his children. So start with honesty with him about what it is that you want. And then secondly, honesty, not just with God, but honesty to yourself. And I think this is what Jesus is getting at in this passage, because these people did the right thing. They came to him and they said, we're still hungry. We want more bread. We're going to follow you anywhere and you're going to keep giving us this bread. We want to be your people and we want to be fed by you. And we, we love this manna, this new bread that you're making. And what Jesus says to them is, well... You think you want bread, but let me tell you what you really want. And his answer is basically what you really want is not the bread that you tasted. It's not the bread that you think I can give you. What you really want is what that bread signifies. What you really want is God himself, all of him feeding you. Jesus says it this way. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work. Do not labor, do not try so hard for the food that perishes, but instead work for the food that endures, that lasts to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. My flesh is true food. My blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. He's saying what you really want is not just to have this uh, bread nourish you, make your tummy ache go away and to get inside your system as bread does and to nourish you and give you strength. What you really want, what that hunger was invented for, what it's designed for is to show you that you were long to be fed and united to and nourished by God himself. And I will do that for you. We will abide. We will be one. And the disciples said, this is a really hard teaching. And it is. But living into this truth is the secret to contentment. Let me put it another way. It's not that you desire too much. It's not that your desires are so out of whack you can't stop desiring. It's that you desire too little. You've probably heard this quote if you've been a Christian in a church for a while. You may have heard this. C.S. Lewis said, uh, we are like people who satisfy ourselves, you know, playing with mud and making little mud pies in, in our little dreary village lane because we have no idea what it means for someone to offer us to go and build sandcastles on the beach, right? We're just content with what's in front of us. In other words, Jesus is saying, don't content yourself on bread because it will never satisfy you. You desire not too much. You desire too little. You're focused on the thing in front of you. And you're not examining, you're not being honest about what it shows you really desire. A New York uh, priest, Orthodox priest, Father Schmemann, this is on the front of your bulletin, you don't have to look there, but he says this more succinctly than I even just did. Man is a hungry being, but he is hungry for God. Behind all the hunger of our life is God. All desire is finally a desire for him. Okay? Let me give you an example of what this might look like. Be honest about your desires. Okay, I'll just use the fancy car since I didn't intend to do this. I was going to uh, do an art thing, but a beautiful classic Mustang, right? This is a beautiful car. My first car was a 66 Mustang, and it was not a convertible. So for me, the desire was both nostalgia 
a recovery of my former glory as a 16-year-old, right? This beautiful, I mean, really, and to me it's mostly about beautiful beauty. This beautiful piece of machinery, the smell that's in there uh, of the leather seats, the sort of vintage analog details of everything, uh, and then also, and probably in some sense, the status, right? With the 66 Mustang, you're just cool, right? Uh, you might like the status of whatever else, you know, a beautiful, beautiful Benz, fine. But what, we're, what I'm trying to say is we sometimes set our affections on something like a car, thinking this will finally, it's going to bring me back nostalgia, status, beauty, joy, freedom of the road, these sorts of things, and never realizing that in as much as that desire might be fine, what it's really pointing me to is not just that I want a fancy car, it's that I want to experience beauty. And the only beauty that, that is ever going to satisfy me is the beauty of God himself. When I find him in his details, uh, beautiful. Or the status, that my status is not just in being able to be someone who has taste and looks cool and gets to go to the beach all the time uh, and live this kind of life. But instead, my status uh, that, that I really depend upon for at the, at the deepest parts of my heart is the status I have as God's beloved child. Right? And so this is what I mean about honesty. Look at your desires, wherever they are. You can write them down on the back of your thing. Say, this is one of the one that keeps me up at night. This is the one that wakes me up in the morning. What does that really point me to in God himself? His beauty, his love, his faithfulness, whatever. You can only fully enjoy the gifts of God if you're in the presence of the giver and as pieces of himself, never apart from him as substitutes. Okay, that's the important thing. They wanted the bread apart from the giver. We can enjoy God's gifts if we're enjoying him through them. But if we try to have them as an end in and of themselves, we lose the joy of that gift and we lose the giver. Psalm 16 puts it this way, whenever all these things are pointed to. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. That's why, Lord, you are my chosen portion. You are my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. You make known to me the path of life in your presence. There is the fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Friends, that's contentment, right? That's contentment, and that gets at the last thing I want to talk about. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In your presence there is the fullness of joy. And so the last virtue we need is not just gratitude, it's not just honesty with ourselves and with God about our desires. It's patience. The last virtue you need to have contentment in this world, in the face of your hungers, is patience. And here's how I want you to have patience. It's a twofold movement, but it'll fit the, you'll, you'll see how it works. I want you to truly, truly savor the really tasty appetizers that God gives you to eat in this world. Okay? Savor the appetizers. But don't fill up on them before the feast. 
What I mean here is Jesus all this time is saying you will never die on the last day, eternal life, the food that endures, all this language. What he's trying to get them to see is that even now in their desire to experience not only bread itself, but to experience God, God was Jesus was going to give them really yummy tastes. Tastes of God, taste of goodness in this world. But they were only going to point them towards something that would that is yet to come an eternal life, an endless age, a feast in the future. And so they're not meant to get full yet. They, they're not to expect the world around them to fill them up because God himself isn't fully present here the way he will be when he comes to make things new. And so if we know and we long more and more patiently for this real meal that will come. We won't gorge ourselves on the snacks to fill up. Does that make sense? You won't try to make this world a beautiful art exhibit, uh, an intimate relationship, the security of your 401k. You won't look to these things to fill you up now. And if you're not looking for them to fill you up, then you can be really content with one bite or four. Because you know that the main course we're really waiting for is coming and that all these things are just meant to be beautiful things that satisfy you a little bit. Yes. An amazing foretaste. But also like all good appetizers. If you've ever been to a nice chef's table, they give you the sort of a mousse-bouche up front, the little freebies that are meant to actually uh, anticipate what's coming and to not only to make you satisfied as you, as you take your time to eat, but to whet your appetite. To be like, I can't wait Till they bring out the main course, right? Every tantalizing bite God gives you is meant to satisfy you in some sense, but it's also meant to provoke this longing, to whet your appetite for something more that's coming. And the something more is simply this. New creation. This very creation around you. Everything you love about it. Concretely. Okay? This one. Remade. Eliminated of all of its decay, of all of its sin, of its war, of its poverty, of its greed, of its loneliness. So that when we bite into it fully at the last day, there will be no bitterness. No, no, no. Instead, we will finally have all of our desires fulfilled because we will be with God, who is the one we deeply long for. Be a marriage supper of the Lamb, the consummation, God's fullness brought into us. And it's found in Jesus. That's what he says. I'm the bread of life that will never leave you hungry. Do you remember a few weeks ago when uh, they rescued these miners in Chile? There were 33 miners. They were trapped in a mine 2,300 feet underground for 69 days. They had some food down there. Here's how much food they had. One can of salmon, one can of peaches, one can of peas, 18 cans of tuna, 24 liters of milk, eight of which turned out to be spoiled, 93 packages of cookies, and each package had four cookies in it. That's how much food they had for 69 days and 33 miners. This is 33 people who were sitting in the dark, far underground, wondering if anyone knew they were down there. Sometimes they would climb as high as they could in the mine and they would bang on the stone walls, hoping that someone above would hear them. Sometimes they would put their ears to the wall, listening for the drills of rescuers. 
And often they would fight over whether or not they had heard anything or whether or not their imaginations were just playing tricks on them. They fought over whether or not they were going to make it, if there was enough to go around, whether they could be fed, whether they would survive. Some of them were religious and some weren't. But it's interesting because even even with their diversity of faith, uh, they began to organize their lives around what I'd call a kind of worship, a kind of liturgy, kind of a, a planned way of being. They would gather together each day and they would go through this routine of trying to encourage one another, don't give up, don't give up. Then they would spend time even confessing to one another how they had hurt one another. I'm sorry, I was feeling really famished yesterday. I'm sorry I snapped at you, these things. They would sing. And then each day their meeting would culminate in a meal. By the end, breakfast, lunch, and dinner became one meal. I mean, became one cookie. But at the end of this meal each time, there was always dessert. A slice of peach, one slice, divided 33 ways. Literally took almost an act of surgery because each miner took a sliver of peach that was about the thickness of a fingernail. Again, some were religious, some weren't. Some handled the ordeal relatively well, some didn't. Some never lost hope and some did lose hope. But the one thing that they shared is that they were all hungry. And one thing that they shared was that all of their lives, all of their lives were saved. When someone came down through all that darkness and all that stone and all that hunger to feed them and pull them out again. This is what they shared in common. Friends, this Jesus who tells you that he will rescue you, he will pull you out of the darkness of, of this stone experience in the place where we're hunger, hungry and afraid, that he promises if you will wait for him, he will pull you out. He will rescue you and bring you into the new heavens and the new earth where you will be free and you will be fed forever. And so I leave you with this. Hunger for him. Take God into you like nutrients that become energy, that give life and strength, and that will not finally leave you hungry. That's why Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens. The word there is nourished. Nourishes. I can do all things, abundance or poverty, I can do all things through him who nourishes me. Friends, Jesus' feast of love is the secret to this mystery of contentment in a hungering world. And the secret is that there is enough now. There's enough now. There's enough of him to go around for you and for the whole world. But there's going to be way more than enough soon. Let's pray. Father, I pray simply that in the rest of the service, you would convince us that these words are true. Help us to put our desires upon you. And then feed us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.